It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, the podcast that takes your myriad adventures into the green outdoors, talks to fascinating country people and tackles some of the big issues facing rural Britain. In this episode, we talk to Emma Mitchell, who uses nature's inspiration to create artworks and other beautiful things and is particularly inspired by springtime. Emma also champions the healing power of nature and has some fascinating and convincing evidence that the countryside is better for our physical and mental well-being than we ever thought. Our own Margaret Bartlett asks the questions. Emma Mitchell is known for her nature-inspired makes in BBC Countryfile magazine and her popular, very popular Twitter feed and Instagram account at Silver Pebble 2, which has over 100,000 followers. She's a naturalist, illustrator and craft teacher, and Emma Mitchell is the author of The Wild Remedy, How Nature Mends Us. Emma has suffered from depression for many years. In this diary, over one year, shares her experiences of walking in nature, drawing, creating art with natural found objects, and how this daily contact with nature has positively impacted her well-being, lifted her mood, and slowly but surely proved to be as medicinal as any pharmaceutical in The Wild Remedy, she also looks at how scientific research is proving that green spaces boost our mental health in a myriad of ways. So, uh, Emma, uh, welcome to the Country File podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Margaret. So, um, 
yeah, I'm interested in, in how your attraction to, to nature started. Were you one of these children who, who, who always picked up things on walks in the park and came home with your pockets full of sticks and things? I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a vivid memory of um, trying to catch uh, tiny little moths in North Wales um, near my paternal grandparents' houses. house. Sorry, mm. um, They lived in a, a bungalow in, in North Wales and um, I asked for something to catch a moth in. And oh. I think my, my nan, my paternal grandmother, gave me one of her little pill boxes. <laughs> I no idea what the pills were, but yeah. these little plastic boxes. And I, I, was, I, went, I would spend absolutely hours trying to catch little insects in there and um, kind of make them my friends, but mostly just sort of <laughs> look at them and learn about their shapes and what they were doing and what kind of plants they were they was kind of clambering on and that I was very very young at that point maybe I don't know five or six um and so yeah I was a child who was completely enchanted by the shapes of plants and Mm. what what was crawling on them and my granddad um had lived just six doors away with my gran and they had a pond in the corner of their suburban garden this was a suburb of Liverpool so not not remotely a wild place at all like this is I grew up in the on the outskirts of you know one of the major cities of the northwest Mm. Uh, but around his garden um, around his pond sorry he had lots of ferns growing and plants that loved damp places and there was quite a big deep ditch behind the the pond and I used to find tiny baby frogs there in Mm -hmm. June and July time, I remember holding them in my hand and being completely struck by awe and wonder at, at, at this tiny creature and, and nature as a whole, really. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was very young when I when I realised I absolutely adored um, every aspect of nature. Yes, that's wonderful. And you went on to study um, zoology at university. That's so that right. So that was just continued through your through your childhood then, then this interest in nature. Mm. Yeah, I think. I think um went on to realize in my teens that I wanted to know if I possibly could how nature worked and to study mm. it in in close detail so it made made sense to go and study zoology um and that was not just whole animals so I I, I le- started to learn how to you know how to understand um the chemical messages for example between moths mm. uh, and how they communicated but also I was learning um the signals that were being passed between molecules inside a single cell mm. so it was very very micro but also macro um, and that was really exciting for me so I was learning about the whole of, of ecosystems but also how cells worked as mm, well yeah that's fascinating um so so you have you always been an artist as well have you always tied in this um you, you know your interest with nature with with drawing and illustration as well um when I was little I would draw um all kinds of things I saw mm. so yes I or I'd try and draw and paint the sea. I'd paint leaves and and I've got lots of paintings actually that I did of birds mm. when I was really young, so maybe nine, ten, or eleven. Um, so yes, I have always drawn um, what I've seen and the things that had inspired me in the natural world. But I don't have a single um, art exam to my name, so my school kind of steered me away from art and music hmm. towards science. Oh, really? Is it because they um, thought you had talent in, in that area and they wanted to? I think they saw that I adored art and got, got great marks in, in my in my artwork. So I think they just were a little bit alarmed right. in case I got distracted. <laughs> From the serious work. <laughs> a bit of a strict... <laughs> 
yeah yeah oh no no you mustn't go over mm. there where the paintbrushes and uh <laughs> lovely watercolors are you better stay over here where the yeah. where the test tubes are which mm. is fair enough you know I think they were ambitious for me and, and I, I went to uh you know I, I did well in my education but um there's there's balance in everything and I would have loved to have done GCSE mm. art and um and but it, it hasn't stopped me um I think hopefully uh well yeah my agent and my publisher um saw the artwork I was creating for my own um actually mm. was helping my mental health you know my just pictures that I was posting on Instagram and um a little later Twitter and I think they just thought well okay these company what Emma's seeing what she's mm. observing in nature it makes sense to have her pictures alongside her mm. text and prose in Oh, the world remedy. So when so, when um, did you start doing the nature collections? I mean, your Instagram account is so beautiful and calming. I was, it's almost like a cold drink <laughs> and a breath of fresh air when you look at your lovely Instagram account. And I think it's just uh, beautiful. Um, so when when did you first start doing those the the nature collections and annotating them beautifully like that? Uh, it was about mm. four years ago. So in sort of springtime mm. 2015, I realised that. Um, Instagram maybe could be um, a place where I could post the things that I was really enjoying photographing um, and the, the drawings I was just starting to make again um, but sharing now and again on my blog um, so yeah it's just four years and um, really I've been so busy with uh, promoting my books in the last year or so that I haven't been able to post nearly as much as I'd like to but in 2016 um, yeah, it went a bit bonkers. I honestly did not think there'd be a great audience for um, what's essentially a, um, collections of pretty twigs and mm. things I found in the garden. I thought that would be quite niche. You know, I thought maybe a few gardeners might like it or a couple of pals sure. who I met on my blog. And in, and in fact, um, there seems to be a great love of botanical imagery at the moment there's a, a sort of resurgence in an appreciation I think of the small details mm. of nature and that was a lovely surprise because it's exactly what I find um can help my mental health when I'm out and about and then I, I bring things home like a small seasonal collection and that's what I'll photograph and that process of identifying them um, annotating them and photographing them is actually very very soothing for me and the idea that those images might help other people to feel kind of relaxed or calming mm. is fantastic mm. yeah. yeah absolutely really. um so um in well in terms of that I mean that brings us to your sort of battles that you have had with mental health and with depression over the years um so how how did this um can you talk more a bit about how nature helped you heal in that way? Yeah, so I started to notice, I don't know, maybe about mm. five or six years ago, um, and I've been suffering from depression really? since mm. I was at college, so since 1992, yeah, Oof. more than half my life, I've been kind of um, finding ways to live with it, and that's that's what the yeah. World Remedy is about, really. Um, but about five or six years ago, I started to notice that if I did take a walk outside, um, and because we've we've we had a dog then who um, was very elderly, she needed a walk very regularly. And we've now got um, she she passed away. Minnie, Minnie passed away a couple of years ago, but we've now got quite mm. a new bouncing pup who's a she yes. definitely <laughs> needs exercise. Um, it was a, it was a sort of necessity, so I had to go and walk her 
fairly regularly. Yeah. And I would notice that if I was having a tough week or a really t- a down day went, that was, you know, full of perhaps difficult thoughts or great deal of stress, I found that, that walking outside in the woods, there's just a, a small, very new kind of 20-year-old wood behind our cottage. It's not an ancient mm. patch of trees by any means. If I mm. went out there with the dog um, or even on my own just for a few minutes, it would really help the way I felt. I felt calmer, uh, more positive. And I just was really interested as a as an ex-scientist, I was interested in why that was and how it was that nature was making me feel that way. And of course, I was aware of the um, literary references to how walking in nature um, can mend your mind or help you in lots of different ways, um, you know, throughout uh, novels and prose and poetry Mm. it's been spoken of um for hundreds of years so it's not a new Mm. idea by any means but what Mm. is new is the research that shows exactly what happens in our bodies and um, how our bodies actually respond biochemically to being in nature Mm. very very quickly and, and how that can change the way we feel and benefit our mental health can you cite any studies at all that you've used in your book um to illustrate that point i can yes there are um there's a bibliography Mm. at the back of the book if you want further reading but a lot of the earliest research that perhaps began around 15 years ago was uh, experiments by the japanese to underpin their government um approved uh project called forest bathing it's it's a it's a it's a movement that recommends that you go outside among ple- trees and plants, preferably a wood or forest. Um, but there's there's evidence to show that mm. it's not that's not essential. Um, in order to make make you feel better if you're physically or mentally unwell, and about two or three million Japanese people have gone on government-approved forest trails if they felt unwell. So it's a huge movement over there. Yeah, and so, I mean, the government government actually um, sort of uh, talk about it and promote it in the same way as perhaps our government would talk about having your five a day, you know, veg, fruit and veg. Mm. It's that... Um, high profile and the because it's so um well respected and 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 um acknowledged that this this can you know being outside can benefit you they have invested in research over there so there are quite a big raft of academic papers showing that when you walk outside for maybe up to 15 minutes and in many cases fewer minutes you will have um lower Mm. pulse rate in that time your heart rate will diminish and a stress hormone called cortisol that will also drop as well if you if you walk in in among trees and plants and you'll feel more positive and anxiety will feel less kind of um overwhelming and apparently what um is actually eliciting and causing those changes in our bodies is at least one of the component uh, one of the factors is uh, oils that are released by the plants that you may be walking among or brushing past as you oh, as you go by really? you know perhaps if you're passing past gosh yeah Sorry, i didn't realize ahead. that right yeah yeah so if you're brushing past various plants like bracken or what you may view as just a kind of tangle of reeds underneath the trees or maybe you're passing um passing by the leaves of the trees or, or shrubs 
um, those plants will release just a small amount of, but quite, you know, um, quite crucial in this process of oils, plant oils. So, you know, if you walk past um, perhaps a hedge of lavender or some lavender um, and you'll smell mm. that amazing odour. Um, wow. Well, every plant has a collection, uh, sort of um, uh, an array of plant oils that they'll, they release uh, if you squeeze or touch or um uh, brush past their their leaves and you may not even detect the, the scent of it and it may just be a very sort of subtle green smell that you may you may detect a little bit like uh you know when you mow the grass but less less intense but you'll be um sort of uh, inhaling that up your hooter <laughs> and, <laughs> and the response in the human system so our circulatory system our um or neurons, so you know, in our brain, and um, and also in our endocrine system. So this the stress hormone cortisol will be affected, and um, there may be even mm. other effects. So a whole range of effects mm. within ten or fifteen minutes happens in the human body, and many of most of these effects, and, and combined, they will make you feel calmer, mm. more positive, more mm. relaxed, and then the effect will be um, go on for several hours. So it's like walking into a free medicine cabinet yes. in some ways you know you know so, it, so you don't have to t- you know you don't have to take any tablets all you have to do is mm. pull your wellies on uh, you know make sure you've got some clothes on obviously you know. oh, a different kind of forest bathing yeah um actually a couple of a few, a few of my uh, book events recently i've been introduced yep. as a naturist which is a completely yes, different, completely different. I'm sure it's very invigorating, but uh, no, I do have clothes on. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's really effective. And so my book, The Wild Remedy, is really, it's a, it's a diary of a year-long experiment that I did on myself. I just thought, right, I'm a person who suffers from depression and sometimes it's mm. utterly debilitating. What I'm going to do is spend a whole year actively dragging mm. myself away from the sofa going for walks in various places, primarily in the, you know, within a few miles of my house and writing down what that does to the way I feel in my, in my mood and and the way I am in my thoughts and the, the tone of my thoughts combined with as much research as I can do to explain exactly why those changes yeah. might be happening. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah. are there any, um, I mean, is, is forest bathing happening here in, in any kind of, is it, has that trend come over to the UK? Um, it is starting to be seen as something significant that can mm. really help mental health. So um, it's clear that the NHS are aware of this really compelling raft of research from Japan, but also from um, this this country too, and from the West. Um, it's uh, the NHS are clearly aware of it because they um, have started to recommend um, contact with nature, spending time, you know, walking in among trees and plants, alongside antidepressants and CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy Mm. or or talking cures, if Mm. you are diagnosed with depression. Now, that's only starting in a small area in the north of Scotland at the moment. It's it's very new. It's only a few months old. But basically, um, the, the GPs up there are recommending a three pronged approach. So 
antidepressants, which are, I rely mm. upon, I take every day, are very effective. Yeah. They can be very effective if you find the right one. Uh, therapy, which again, I find um, is, I rely upon. It's very, very important. So talking cure in, in one way or another um, can be really helpful if you're unwell. But mm-hmm. the third um, approach now that I'm starting to recommend is getting outside into your garden mm. or into a wood or even mm. a recreation ground or a park. It doesn't have to be an extremely wild mm. space. So mm. is it is it more just about seeing greenery? Is something is yeah something that triggers That's, something inside us that creates these calming effects? Well, um, as I say, when you trample on so the grass mm. or the the weeds or the tangle of plants that you might um, walk upon when you're in a, a wood mm. or in, in your own garden, as I say, there'll be oils released from these plants. And that is a crucial part of the effect that nature could have on us. And those are the experiments and the, the papers that I described, but there are other effects too. So um, as you mentioned, seeing um, a green landscape does have an effect on our mind, a calming effect. Um, so uh, there's evidence um, that has been described in some papers from mm-hmm. the University of Exeter, led by Dr. Daniel Cox, and they they have shown that if you even if you just see a, um, about thirty percent of the view through your window is foliage of some kind, so greenery, only thirty percent. Um, that can benefit your mental health day to day. So um, these were studies really for urban dwellers. But this applies if you live anywhere. You know, if you've got some a little patch of green in the in the in your garden and you you look at it through the window, you you will feel more positive than if your view is simply of concrete or an urban environment mm. or, or a pavement. So that suggests that getting outside and being among those that foliage will have a similar effect mm. on your mental health. But also, also um, there's something that can affect our minds called the harvest high. Mm. Now, that sounds a bit, a bit, <laughs> yes. ju- a bit dubious, it doesn't, doesn't it? involve smoking in any way. <laughs> And that's it. This is actually the um, burst of dopamine, which is a very intensely feel-good neurotransmitter um, that's released in our neurons. You know, it's a natural chemical that's produced in our brains. If you uh, pick your own tomatoes in your own garden, or if you go and find loads of really delicious mm. blackberries in a hedge, um, so it's linked to our hunter-gatherer past. This is the, this is the theory, and that if you find a really amazing kind of stash of, uh, I don't know, delicious wild raspberries, and you pick them and you or you you know, bring them home with you, you will have a burst of dopamine. Now, I get this similar feeling if I kind of find really beautiful acorns or some sycamore keys or beautiful snail shell, and I've had hundreds of people describe to me on Twitter how they feel. Uh, a small burst of elation when they find something beautiful mm. in nature. Now, I believe that that is harking back to our, you know, past thousands of years ago when we were out in nature every day, and we actually were looking for medicinal and um, food plants, but also mm. resources um, that we could use, like I don't know, stems of nettles, so that we could make some string. We were looking for um, the best, the really good hazel twigs, you know, to 
weave into either fences or things like that so it was it was our mm. high street out there and when we found something that would have a and it, they, these small finds would have direct impacts mm-hmm. on our survival so it's like a darwinian thing it would make sense for us to have a mental reward a little burst of elation when we found the blackberries that will give us the same feeling now but obviously there's we don't need to um, go into a hedge mm-hmm. to find our food. Well, we well, not, not at the not moment right <laughs> anyway. Um, however, what we can do is to use that that kind of change in the tone and, uh, and you know the lift that we get from finding something beautiful in nature, like a feather or um, a gorgeous seed head. We can use that to help our mental health. So if you go outside and, and collect a little seasonal. Um, string of finds you know like uh the moment you might be you might find a primrose in your garden or you might find i don't know in a few weeks time uh an, an abandoned sort of um a half oh. a bird's egg that you know a, a, the, chick, the chick has emerged and the the parent bird has dropped it you find something beautiful like that and bring home a little collection like that and just try and identify them photograph them that can give you not only a sense of calm connection to your own patch but you mm. can get that elation that I described, that sort of harvest high um, connected to our ancient past. And that will add to the plant oils that you may have inhaled, the the sight of the foliage, even on the bit of waste ground behind the bus stop. You know, It doesn't matter mm. where you go for this. Um, mm. And the benefit of gentle exercise, you'll get some endorphins from walking Um and you may see something really beautiful, like a drift of flowers. And there's evidence that you, again, if you see something beautiful in nature, you'll again get another burst of dopamine. So there's all kinds of interconnected effects of getting outside for just 10 or 15 minutes. And we can now use that to help to stem the epidemic yeah. of mental illness. That's fascinating. So in your... Um after you'd completed, you know, finished writing the book, have you sort of developed a, a sort of strategy or kind of almost like a prescription for yourself that helps you, you know, after you've discovered all this research and findings? I have, yes. Yeah. So now I view getting outside not mm. as a chore, um, something as that is, I know this sounds strange, but is as essential mm. as eating and drinking. There is, there is a theory actually that um, we that called nature deficit disorder that um, goes part way to explaining why there may be an ep- epidemic of mental illness and, and that actually we evolved outside in nature um, in, a, in wild landscapes and we need to kind of get out there again in order to feel fully well and we need to be having regular contact with plants and trees. So yes, there is a prescription that I kind of give myself. So if I'm feeling really strung out, my workload's pretty high at the moment doing all number of really exciting Mm. things linked to my book but it's it's sometimes difficult to fit it all in it's a bit stressful so if I'm feeling strung out I will literally go take make a cup of tea and go for 10 minutes sit in my garden because I've planted some lovely spring flowers out there and I go and I leave my phone inside and I will go and literally just look. And because I'm a gardener, I'll maybe just do a tiny bit of weeding or I'll really, really have a look at any seedlings that are coming up and think, oh, actually, that might be larkspur mm. and whatever. So, yeah, 10 minutes in the garden. Or if I've got a bit more time, maybe 15 or 20 minutes walking in the wood behind our house. And I try and do that 
every day if I can. Um, right. Rain or shine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, walking in rain is ca- can be kind of wonderful. You know, you've got the, mm. the sort of sound of it. Um, and yes, it's, it's perhaps less comfortable, but um, you can witness all kinds of love. You know, you can get perhaps interesting yes. slugs coming out, Margaret. If <laughs> oh, we love them. <laughs> <laughs> if Molly's thing. Um, mollusks should not be um, ignored. I think they can be quite interesting creatures. But yeah, I think that may be too much for many people maybe to go out every day. But two or three times a week, uh, 10 minutes in the garden or a very small stroll, um, even if it's just down the street and looking at the plants that are overhanging Mm. people's fences, having a sniff of, of some kind of blossom or winter flowering honeysuckle anything you come across just really closely looking at the shapes of the leaves and Mm. buds emerging really really can help um and my book is testament to that wonderful i mean i do notice when i go for a walk with my son who's who's seven you know he has to stop and look at everything you know uh, there's a snail or there's a you know there's a flower you know we have to look at them all and perhaps as we get older we i don't know we just we don't look at things as, as closely as we used to. I agree with you. I think children have um, that in, mm. inherent wonder in them. It's something to for, for us to learn from. I think we lose it as we yeah. become adults. And I think you can hold on to it and just think, wow, look at the veins on the back of that leaf. And it may even be just a, a little weed that you wouldn't necessarily have noticed. Just careful looking and careful noticing um, that a child might do. They'll have a squat down on their haunches and they'll have a little poke around with a stick and say, mommy, look at this tiny little snail. Yeah. Oh, look, I found a ladybird. If you can get back into that childhood attitude towards nature mm. and see it, Something not kind of every day or something to walk past, but something to notice, something something, something to really look at and see. Um, even the most humble jumble of plants under a hedgerow can be absolutely exquisite if you change the way you think about them. And it can be um, like walking mm-hmm. into a gallery, even if you're just looking at an array of weeds in your own garden. They're very, each one yes. is absolutely yeah. beautiful. And I sound a little bit hippie-ish, <laughs> don't I, Margaret? But I am evangelical. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good to be, yeah. It's a good to inspire, inspire it in others. I think it's wonderful. It's something really important for urban dwellers, but but everybody. I mean, even, you know, if you live in a, a small village, you can easily just put your head down and get on with your business and not, not look around you. So I guess it's important for everybody, even if you're not living in a concrete jungle. Definitely. And also, if you, if you don't have, um, you know, many mm. people don't have gardens, um, but you can grow really interesting plants indoors so you can have like um my, my daughter's actually got a kind of little farm of of tiny succulents oh, going on and if there's a leaf falls off she kind of mm-hmm. pr- propagates them and that's um helping her to kind of keep calm she's having a stressful day she'll come and tend mm. to her succulents you can have an array of herbs on a balcony or on a windowsill and their leaves are truly and sage leaves my mm. god absolutely beautiful um, so it's just a matter of tuning your brain you know changing the the dials on your brain so that you perhaps start to notice these tiny na- details of nature and appreciate them and your thoughts mm. can change even looking at the most humble 
humble thing that you might buy just from yeah. the garden yeah. centre. You know? um, well, now we're sort of in the middle of spring time. What would you recommend or what would be nice to look out for if we go for a, a springtime walk in the park or even in our gardens at this time of year? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great question. So um, coming towards the end of March or into April, um, we will be drawing near the time where mm. the swallows return. Now, there, ha- there were a few um, coming to our shores in February, which was slightly alarming, Gosh. extremely early, but most of the swallows will, I know, a bit worrying, but most of the swallows return around the middle of April. So I've seen them sort of maybe on the 10th or maybe sometimes as late as the 14th or 15th, but around that time, most swallows will return. So it's absolutely wonderful to watch them. And when they arrive back, they will be... Um, tired you know they'll have gone gone on this hugely epic journey and they'll be really hungry so they'll be feeding a lot and swooping around finding little um, flying insects and just sitting on a bench or in your garden watching a swallow Hmm. is a a wonderful sight you know it may not be quite as awe-inspiring as maybe a whole murmuration of starlings but they are amazing creatures they have flown for many thousands of miles to arrive here and when you see your first one um in the spring of 2019 it's a special moment for me as a naturalist and i'd love people to watch out for their first swallows that would be something great to watch for Um, but also there'll be lots of blossom coming out in april particularly kind of crab apple and apple blossoms and i think those are the most beautiful often tinged with pink so that's something lovely to look out for um, and the bird activity will be um, extremely busy. They'll be they'll be building nests. So watch out for birds kind of hopping in and out of hedges or perhaps little you know um, clumps of ivy that might be growing against the wall. You might spot some robins just you know darting in and out, and that, there might be evidence there yeah. for a nest. So it's really worthwhile kind of stopping, slowing down. And watching carefully to see what the birds are doing, and you might be able to spot the site mm. of a nest, which is that's lovely. Yes, blossom is gorgeous as well. It's the smell too, isn't it? That kind of I don't know. Well, it always captivates me. The smell of blossom. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and certain spring flowers that just have the most beautiful scent. I mean, later on in the year, um, into May, beginning of May, you'll get cow parsley my very favorite plant and that has this beautiful sort of slightly honey acidic smell really really gorgeous um and that's very common in every Mm. county of the uk Um, but also into may time and june you'll get elderflower which is just a very again a really common Mm. shrub um and, and that's got an extremely heady beautiful scent so sort of april and may are it's becoming it's becoming the height of spring you know go and perhaps visit a bluebell wood watch yeah. out for the birds and yeah. seasonal flowers um there's so much to see mm. outside in the countryside there really is and and, and in and in yes, parks exactly. as well we don't have to get in the car and drive somewhere we can we can just enjoy what's on our doorstep can't we well yeah. thank you so much for your time today and um you know i find i find what you what you do really soothing and calming and i think it's a lovely approach um to take to to nature watching and and observing um what's you know the natural world around us 
Well, I've always believed that nature in the countryside is essential for dealing with modern life. So thank you to Emma Mitchell for making that point so elegantly and emphatically. You can find more of Emma's inspiration on Twitter under the handle at SilverPebble and on Instagram as SilverPebble2. Sadly, this is the last of our first season of 12 episodes of the podcast, but don't worry, we're already recording a second season and we hope to be launching the first episodes within weeks. This has been a podcast for BBC Country Farm magazine. You can find more of our podcasts at Acast, iTunes, the Apple Podcast app and many others. And for more about the British countryside that we love so much, visit our website, countryfile.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.